ಶ್ರೀಗುರುವೇ ಗಣೇಶ ಶರಣ ಗುರುಭ್ಯೋ ನಮಃ ಸೊ ವರ್ ಪಿಕಿಂಗ್ ಅಪ್ ವಿ ಲೆಫ್ಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಅ ಫ್ಯೂ ವೀಕ್ಸ್ ಅಗೋ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ವೀಕ್ ವಿ ಕ್ಯಾನ್ಸಲ್ ಐ ಡಿಂಟ್ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಕ್ವೈಟ್ ದ ವಾಯ್ಸ್ ಫಾರ್ ಎಕ್ಸಾಮ್ಪಲ್ ವಾಯ್ಸ್ ಫಾರ್ ಸ್ಪೀಕಿಂಗ್ ಡ್ಯೂ ಟು ದಿಸ್ ನಾಸ್ಟಿ ವೈರಸ್ ದಟ್ಸ್ ಎವರಿಬಡಿ ಸೀಮ್ಸ್ ಟು ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಸೇ ಅ ಲಾಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಪೀಪಲ್ ಹೂ ಆರ್ ಪ್ರಾಬ್ಲಿ ಯೂಶುಲಿ ಸಿಟಿಂಗ್ ಹಿಯರ್ ಪ್ರಾಬ್ಲಿ ನಾಟ್ ಸಿಟಿಂಗ್ ಹಿಯರ್ ಫಾರ್ ದಟ್ ರೀಸನ್ ಸೋ ಇಟ್ ಇಸ್ what to do moving on uh, so we we are rakhan swami vivekananda's bhakti yoga uh, what did we read before catch so the last time we we spent a few weeks a couple weeks talking on this on the means and the ways the ways the, the ways to cultivate bhakti by purity of you by purity of food by discipline by like this the things we're discussing um um and now the next chapter is very this these two sections like the 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 section uh, bhakti yoga intensifies quite a bit in these final chapters it it goes like from like 5 to 108 really fast and goes goes flying i think so this these are some of the 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 fuel for the for the jump <coughs> So this chapter is called preparatory renunciation Everyone's favorite topic is renunciation I know Yeah <laughs> 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 so this is the one I'm talking about We have finished the consideration of what may be called preparatory bhakti and now shall enter the study of para bhakti or supreme devotion. We have to speak of the preparation for the practice of this para bhakti. All such preparations are indeed are intended only for the purification of the soul. The repetition of names, the rituals, the forms, the symbols, all these various things are for the purific- purification of the soul. this para bhakti has many names it's called in in the samayu usually describe it as para bhakti uh, in the devi gita also the devi herself uses this term para bhakti um means supreme devotion but technically it has a few other another terms uh, raghunuga bhakti nirguna bhakti um uh, muktiya bhakti there's a few other terms mentioned in devotional scriptures mukya mukya means um mukya uh, means free liberated nirguna it means beyond the three gunas raghunuga bhakti means the supreme devotion is this kind of uh, uh, transcendental devotion 
So what we're doing when we come to a temple, when we do our daily japa meditation according to instructions of the, of the Guru, we read the scriptures, we have satsang, we attend kirtan, we listen to devotional music, we read the scriptures like this. And we go on pilgrimage, we give in charity, we, offer, we cook food purely and offer food to the deity, take prasadam. All these are, are in the category of, of, of um, these aren't, uh, these are in the category of preparatory, these are, Swami uses the word preparatory bhakti. Uh, um, uh, Sri Ramakrishna uses Vaidhi Bhakti right? in, in, in a very important chapter in the, in the Katamrita it's in the gospel it's called I think it's called in, uh, Conversation with Vijay Krishna Goswami it's a very deep, powerful, complicated discussion about these very things about, about, about um, uh, so, so preparatory Bhakti or Vaidhi Bhakti or you could say according to the rules and regulations of, 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 the, of yoga uh, yama, niyama, the instructions of the Guru and the of the scripture. The reason for it is so that we purify the mind. It's probably just the purification of the soul. Or we were saying last uh, couple of weeks ago that uh, all purposes of sadhana is manashuddhi, purification of the mind, mind, heart, soul, like this. Um, so doing japa daily is not the same as bhakti. Right? Bhakti is supreme devotion. Right. Uh, uh, so, but uh, doing japa, the purpose of japa and other related sadhanas in beginning stages is to purify the mind so that devotion awakens. But also in the beginning stages, you could also say, we can also say that devotion is shown by doing daily sadhana. One example I remember many year, years ago from Badahari Das, who used to be the temple president here in Laguna Beach, Hare Krishna Temple. He used the example of his uh, child. He says that I'm very, um, uh, sometimes my desire to feed and bathe my daughter is very great. Right? There's so much love and pouring force towards her. Sometimes there's, you don't feel like the last thing you want to do is wake up and bathe a screaming child, like that, but, or feed, or go to work to raise money, to get money and cook and like that. But you do it anyway because you love her. Sometimes love is overflowing, that's natural. Sometimes it may not be, but out of love you still do it. Love you still, you know, so sometimes sadhana can be this way also. Sometimes daily sadhana is also expression of love. And the purpose of daily sadhana is to awaken this love. This part of, can you lower the heater a little bit? Lower the heater a little bit. Too hot for me. Too cold and too hot. <coughs> Thank you. <clears throat> but para and remembering our old dis- our discussions on Narada Bhakti Sutta, he describes Narada describing Bhakti as the, he he says as uh, 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 prema su- uh, he says prema and he also uses the word para several times, and para means we usually describe it as 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 uh, as uh, supreme. Para also means other. So it means when you think of devotion, when you think of uh, um, emotion or devotion or commitment, that's not the same as... Para is different than that. So para means it's, it's the highest level, para, I mean supreme, also means completely other than what we think. What we really think of devotion, para bhakti is not that. It's beyond that. And, other, and so by saying beyond, another word we use in English is transcendental. It transcended, that which is beyond conception or, or normal thinking of it. So, 
uh, Swamiji is going to start talking about this Parabhakti in the next couple of chapters. Uh, but so, so, so far, actually, all he's been doing is ways to awaken general devotion. Now, when devotion is awakened, then you have to, you have to get from regular bhakti to parabhakti. So, parabhakti is beyond or transcendental, beyond the gunas. That means regular bhakti is within the gunas, which means, or we say, conditioned. We're still conditioned beings, right? And, uh, so, in uh, Sri Ramakrishna describes, is a, there we have, a, a, just like people are of three types, or a mixture of types of, of uh, rajasic, tamasic, sattvic, sattvika. Similarly, devotion is also sattvika, ras, uh, uh, raja, rajasic, and, and, and tamasic. There's a verse in the Devi Gita, remembering this morning. The Divine Mother herself is speaking. Devotion as practiced by human beings is of three kinds in accord to the qualities of nature, so gunas. A person who intends harm to others while engaging in deceit and who is spiteful and irascible practices devotion characterized by ignorance or tamas. <clears throat> and you can see some, some devotion, actually you see a lot of manifestations of devotion in the world as we see these are almost horrible. It's almost directly horrible. Right, uh, violence is done, and 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 and, and backwards and, and and repressive and violent and dark like this. This is, but that's also a type of devotion. You can't say people don't have devotion. That's not very refined, obviously. Those who are spite, oh sorry, one who is uh, one who is ever lustful, seeking fame and seeking pleasure, who worships me, divine mother speaking, intently for the sake of obtaining this or that fruit, who foolishly assumes false distinctions thinking that I am other than one's own being. Such a person practices devotion characterized by passionate yearning, rajas, O mountain chief, talking to the Himalayas. And so that the more, uh, we, the, the, the normal criticism, we, we sometimes self-criticism, uh, that we give in, 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 in our religious, motiv- spiritual motiva- motivation is that we have selfish motivation. We, we worship God in order to get stuff, right, make things favorable. Right, get this or that fruit. Right, you know, like please give us a job. Please uh, heal myself. If I uh, let me be successful. I mean, you, right now is New Year's. Right, so the next few days, the temple will be very, very full of people. Naturally, people, we, we should thank God for the blessings and struggles of this year and pray for a better year in the future. Right, but a lot of people that what, what we're praying for, you know, like maybe <laughs> maybe be successful. And so this is considered, this is rajasic bhakti, right, where it's still, we're worshipping with some uh, 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 tinge of selfish motivation. Jai Ma. Sorry, Mike. No problem. <clears throat> I've mentioned several times, it's a, a little scene in a small book that really... <coughs> impressed my mind a little bit. Uh, it's a conversation with um, the Hare Krishna founder, Srila Prabhupada, and some, uh, uh, I think it's a book called Perfect Questions, Perfect Answers. It's a conversation, an interview with him with um, uh, a, um, a Peace Corps worker in, 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 in Mayapur. And in the discussion, he, the person says, but many people are worshipping God for money. Right, and he says, and, and and Prabhupada says, yes, that's true. He says, well, that's wrong. That's bad. And, and Prabhupada said, actually, worship God is worshiping God is never bad. 
right? So that's like worshiping Krishna is always good, never bad, right? It says at least the person who wor- who worships God to, for money knows the source of all money is God. Krishna is the source of everything, right? So it's actually a pretty intelligent uh, position, right? They know the source of everything and they know who to go. He says, and if they worship God even for money, slowly they become purified, because God's the great purifier, right? And there's that through that sadhana, through that practice, through that. Um, slowly, slowly, they're, 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 they get purified and their lust and uh, uh, desire, uh, gets, uh, the heart and mind gets purified and then they worship God just for devotion. Right? So it's not like, oh, if you worship, we should, worship of God is never bad. Right? So even worship in the, in the rajasic mode. What who's, So one of the qualities of thinking also, like uh, our Divine Mother speaking here, that, that, that think, seeing, a God is separate, seeing that God is separate from me is also one of the symptoms of Rajasic Bhakti. One who offers all karmic, karmic fruits to me, the Supreme Ruler, in order to be cleansed of all evil, who thinks I must carry out the acts enjoined by the Vedas without faltering, who is thus cultivated, who is thus convinced but, is still, but still clings to the false distinctions, who performs all work out of a sense of love. Such a person practices devotion characterized by virtue, or sattva, O mountain. Right, sattva, sattva, uh, sattvic bhakti is being described. Here she's saying, I, oh, no, I, shall do this, I shall follow the scriptures perfectly with great faith. Right? Um, uh, and I shall offer, like Krishna says, offer the fruits of your action. So one who offers the fruits of all their actions, offering it to God, wanting to follow the scriptures properly. Uh, 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 uh. and who does everything out of the sense of love and dedication to God. That's very high bhakti, but it's, it's considered <coughs> sattvic bhakti. But the problem, sattvic bhakti, although wonderful, is still in the gunas. And God is trignatita, he's beyond, he or she, it is beyond the gunas. So para bhakti is beyond that, right? So then she says, this later, this latter, sattvic bhakti, Although still clinging to false distinctions leads to the highest devotion, parabhakti. But the two former kinds of devotion, that's rajasic and tamasic bhakti, do not lead to the highest. So it, so it is understood. So wherever we are, we should try to, we should try to develop subject bhakti by, by instructions of the scriptures, instructions of the guru, by daily spiritual practice, purifying our motivations like this, bit by bit like this. But we have to attain parabhakti. I'll go back to the section. Go back to Swamiji. The greatest purifier among all such things, a purifier without which no one can enter the regions of the higher devotion, is renunciation. This frightens many. Yet without it, there cannot be any spiritual growth. In all the yogas, renunciation is necessary. This is a stepping stone. And the real center. Kai bhakti, but it's, it's bhakti. Making sure it's working. This is the stepping stone and the real center, the real heart of all spiritual culture. Renunciation. This is religion. Renunciation. So Swamiji has given a few so far definitions of religion. Religion is realization. You know these different type of thing. Here he says religion is renunciation. When the human soul draws back from the things of the world and tries to go into deeper things, when man, the spirit, which has somehow become conce- uh, 
concretized and materialize, understand that he is going to be destroyed and reduced almost to mere matter, and turns his face away from matter, then begins renunciation, then begins real spiritual growth. Actually, we're trying to find the spirit to be attached to the to matter is that's a uh, um, uh, impossible situation. We're looking at something infinite, and we're attached to finite. We're looking for something unlimited, and we're attached to the limited, right? And if we're trying to find ourselves, which is also infinite, and we find ourselves stuck in this little tiny body, and we know we can see this. With a little bit of intelligence, unfortunate intelligence, we look at ourselves and realize very shortly, maybe today, in a few years for sure, right, this will be destroyed, you know. So what we're looking for isn't the thing that's being destroyed. And this is the thing that, and, and one of the motivations we seem to see in religion uh, is that, is because we think we're going to die, right, we, we, we want not to die. Right, that's what, and so a lot of religions based upon it, it seems to be, by some analysis, uh, trying to find a way not to die, or trying to find part of it. But actually, it should start, we are going to die. Right, we don't need to change that. This body is going to die, the, the mind is not going to last. Right, our, our sense of identity is very, very flimsy. It's one of the discussions we've been having recently here. Uh, so what is real in all this? Uh, it's not trying to make this last, right? Uh, or trying to even not this, not only this body last or this world last, but even my sense, my present sense of self, trying to make it last, right? And so we, we say, oh, we'll be reincarnated, we'll go to heaven, we'll, some some we'll, the body will be resurrected, some version of either the body will be resurrected or the soul will be resurrected in another body, right? And maybe that's true. I mean, that's a view of many religions, including of Hinduism, right? Right, but in a certain sense, it's trying, it's trying to hold on to something which is very effervescent, always changing, right? not very secure. So seeing that it's not secure, what's secure? What's real? Not trying to make the insecure secure, make the body last forever. Right? We can, what is it? We can, what Swamiji also talked about, we can mummify it, you know, make it last forever, right? or, 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 become, or, or bear it as the way it becomes resurrected, or whatever, or my, my, my mind and ego, my personality, well, that will last, maybe in another body, or in another realm, right, you know, it's like, well, maybe it la- maybe this body will resurrect it, great, that's, I guess, I don't know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not, it's bad enough now, <laughs> a few years in the body may not, and in the dirt may not make it better, I don't think, <laughs> but who knows, <coughs> miracles, uh, it's a belief like that. Right, or maybe we'll go to a higher realm or another realm. Hopefully, slightly better. Maybe another body. This is our belief, like that. But it's not. It's that shouldn't be the mo- That shouldn't be the only motivation for religious contemplation, right? Uh, the, here, some it's like the body is temporary. The mind is temporary. The ego seems to be temporary. A certain maybe not as antakarana. The the thing that 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 the Hinduism believe reincarnates isn't permanent. Even that's not permanent. It's maybe it outlasts the body, but it's not. It can't be shown as being permanent. The bo- the mind, ego, and the intelligence. That that's the thing that incarnate that that, that incarnate, reincarnates, right? These things are changing constantly. They probably they may maybe change more than the body, right? Yeah. So rather than trying to hold on to this, we think what's real, independent of this. If we let go of this, what do we find? Right. That's the whole experiment of renunciation. Not that trying to get something that's bad. Trying to find something that's real. 
right? Not trying, not not trying to let go or uh, uh, push something temporary away. Trying to find out if it's permanent, which is infinite. Then begins renunciation. That then begins real spiritual growth. The karma. Then he goes. Swamiji is talking about the three, the four yogas. Swamiji defines the world as religion. This is, of course, his meta method. I mean, the four main yogic schools in India. You could say, but they can. Other people would list the yogas differently. Some people say four yogas. People say six yogas. People say three yogas. Right? Or you can you can, you can separate them all those ways. Swamiji generally classified religious the religious search and technology in India as four primary yogas. He's famous for the four yogas. So he's describing each of these four yogas, karma, jnana, uh, uh, raja, and bhakti, how, how, how renunciation uh, finds your play in each one of them. The karma, yogas, the karma yogi's renunciation takes the shape of giving up all the fruits of his actions. That Krishna says, all that you do, all that you offer, give away, all that you eat, all the stairs perform, do that as an offering to me. Do everything, give me the fruits of everything. You have the right to work, but not their fruits, right? Give the fruits to me. This is one way to have uh, karma-free action, karma yoga. He is not attached to the results of his labors. He does not care for any rewards here or hereafter. That's Raja, That's karma yoga. Actually, Krishna says in the Gita, actually, it's it's uh, uh, our expectation. It's working with a selfish ex- uh, a selfish expectation that creates a karmic result. So how do you work without it? How, how can you work without a, a, a selfish expectation? Well, how can you work without wanting? Why are you working? Right. So these are a few of the techniques given in the Gita. One is to do your, because it's your duty. That's the type of you know it's like your duty, whether you want to or not, whether you're attached to it or not, you do it out of sense of duty. That's dharma. Right. In other words, like whatever you do, whatever the situation, I'm doing it, but I'm, I'm but the results I'm giving. It's another way of acting without without uh, the highest. Just everything you do is do for yes. You have to do it out of love. It doesn't. Then there's no. You're not doing it for yourself at all. That's a higher thing. The Raja Yogi knows that the whole of nature is intended as a means for the soul to acquire experience, and that the result is intended. Uh, I'm sorry, and that the result of all of the experiences of the soul that it becomes aware of its eternal separateness from nature. Read that again. The Raja Yogi knows the whole of the nature is intended as a means for the soul to acquire experience. Everything, whole nature, Prakriti's only purpose is to acquire, for us to get knowledge. And that this conjunction of viquous matter, I'm sorry, uh, turn, uh, I lost my place, sorry. The Raja Yogi knows the whole of nature is intended as a means for the soul to acquire experience. And that the result of this experience of the soul to become aware of its eternal separateness from nature. So actually, the, the whole purpose of this is based upon Purusha Pakriti philosophy, right? But the whole purpose of our experience of nature, is, our experience of life, is to realize that we're separate from it, right? That's what we're going to do. And, and so the techniques are how to withdraw the mind. Philosophically, it's distinguishing Purusha Pakriti, we're completely separate from nature. So that, that's called renunciation, that realization, right? And the technique is Pratyahara. Dharana, right? You pull the mind away from the from from the from, from the manifestation of pakriti, the body, the mind, the world, agitations, vritti, all things like that, and control the mind and put the mind on internal, on 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 on, on the um, 
still the mind and focus, so the mind reflect upon itself. Purusha can see Purusha. No, Purusha. The human soul has to understand and realize that it has been spirit and not matter through eternity and that this conjunction of it with matter is and can be only for a time. Right? We think we're the body, we're not the body. We think we're the mind, we're not the mind. We think we're the ego, we're not the ego. It, we've never been the ego. Right? Temporarily, we think it. Right? As long as this body lasts, we think it. Maybe after the body dies, we may still think it. Right? You know, that seems to be a problem. Right? We're, not the, we're not the mind. You know. We've never been the mind. And, the, and our connection with this mind is temporary. Maybe it outlasts the body, maybe not. Right. But it's very temporary. So what are we? So that realization is also a type of renunciation. The Rajayogi learns the lessons of renunciation through his own experience of nature. The Jnana Yogi has the harshest of all renunciations to go through. Right. This is the Jnana Yogi. The, uh, for he has to realize from the very first that the whole of this solid-looking nature is an illusion. That's the Jnana Yogi. That's the most difficult. Where you have to start without any experience without any inner taste uh, and, and, and conviction. Like they start, first thing they tell you, whole world, all, uh, um, uh, this world is unreal. God is real, the world is unreal. That's, how it's, that's the opening, that's how it starts, right? So that's a very difficult, like, but it seems real, it's not. But I like it, it's too bad, it's not, right? <laughs> right so that's a very difficult, you have to start, so that's what you think, Gami Yoga is the most difficult. He has, to, he has to understand that, that any kind of manifestation of power in the external nature belongs to the soul and not to nature. Everything we experience is coming from ourselves. Even the reality we see in the world. Well, this solid world, it's not that this world's unreal, but it is unreal. Whereas it's like we think the wall's outside of us, not outside of us, we projected it. Right? I'll do my, I know Sri Ramakrishna warned his devotees against practicing and showing cities. I'm going to practice a city and show it and demonstrate in front of all of you right now. Right. I'm, going to, I'm going to make two of Atmarams. Ready? Now there's, now there's two Atmarams. <laughs> you also be careful. He, he demonstrated two, and I feel like it. So is that real? I've, you know, I've, it, in my mind, my experience, I thought two Atmarams. Right? But even my mind seeing one Atmaram, what's the evidence? Right? You know, it's like I think it's, it's, maybe there's an external Atmaram, maybe not, but it's, it's, it can't be. It can't be uh, uh, can't be solidly shown. Whatever the if a world exists, we projected it, right? There's only consciousness playing all these forms. There's not the there's no world. There's only consciousness. That's the stance of of of, of, of Advaita and of Gyan, Gyan Yoga. Whatever we see is not what we see. We're it's an expression of the seer, right? Then there's is it Maya? There's there's different schools that describe how that works and what that is. But ultimately, it's the same thing. What we see is not what we see, right? The world that we're the body that we think we are, the world that we think we're in. Right? It's not, it's, not, it's not what we think. Maybe it's there, maybe it's not there, but it's not what we think for sure. He has to know from the very start that all the knowledge and all experiences are in the soul and not in nature. So he has at once, and by the sheer force of the rational conviction, to tear himself away from all bondage to nature. Not easy. He lets nature and all that belongs to it go. He lets them vanish and tries to stand alone. Atman alone abides. Right? This is a, the stance of, a, of the jnani. Right? Atman alone abides. But the problem is that every experience tells us differently. Every thought tells us differently. But the Atman alone abides. This is the, the stance. It's also a very tough renunciation. 
It's not like, oh, you should give up chocolate. You know, so, you know, now New Year's is coming, so everybody has to give up something. You have to, you know, I'm going to lose weight, and I'm gonna, not going to watch as much TV, and I'm not going to go on Facebook more, more than three hours a day, you know, show my renunciation. That's not renunciation. Whole world of name and form, and our ideas, our projection, our body, our mind, thinking, all that is not true. Right? I stand Atman alone, but that's renunciation, not giving up this particular thing. That's a little bit austere. That's some, some discipline. That's okay. That's, that's good to give up something, free the mind from attachment to things. That's a, that's a useful austerity, but that's not real renunciation. So he's describing very, in just a few lines, the, the renunciation of a, of, a, of a karma yogi, of a raja yogi, and a, and a jnana yogi. What about the bhakti yogi? Bhakti yogi? Of, all the renun- of all the renunciations, the most natural, so to say, is that of a bhakti yogi. Here there is no violence, nothing to give up, nothing to tear off, as it were, from ourselves, nothing from which we have to separate ourselves violently. The bhakti's renunciation is easy, smooth flowing, and as, na- and as natural as the things around us. We see the manifestations of this sort of renunciation, although more or less in the form of caricatures every day around us. So bhakti yogi, uh, renunciation is simple. Uh, and, and he says it because it's una- it becomes a... Una- and then he says the caricatures, these are, these are, um, they're really our caricatures. This is like, he's going to describe a few things in the world, a few things that we see. And more or less we've seen or experienced like these. These examples, you understand his point by his examples. A man begins to love a woman. After a while he loves another. And he lets the first woman go. She drops out of his mind smoothly, sometimes not so smoothly, but gently without his feeling of want for her at all. A woman loves a man and then begins to love another man. And the first one drops out of her mind quite naturally. Right, so how's, that's renunciation. If you fall in love with, sometimes you simply, the mind loses interest, that's one type of thing that happens all the time. But you, the line with it, because you get another interest. Right? If you fall in love with somebody else, the thing that used to be the most, that withdrawals from the mind. Right? A man loves his own city, then he begins to love his country, and the intense love for his little city drops smoothly, naturally. Again, a man learns to love the whole world. His love for his country, his intense, fanatical patriotism, drops off with, without hurting him, without any manifestations of violence. An uncultured man loves the pleasures of the senses intensely, as he becomes cultured, he begins to love intellectual pleasures, and his sense enjoyment becomes less and less intense. No man can enjoy a meal with the same gusto or pleasure as a man, or as does a dog or a wolf. But those pleasures which a man gets from intellectual experiences and achievements, the dog can never enjoy. This is the idea of a higher taste. When one gets a higher taste, then the lower taste automatically falls away. You don't have to give it any, anything up. If you want to get some, you know, as we know, if, if you're trying to uh, get somebody off a t- particular diet, the best thing you do is feed them. Like you want to make, you want to help somebody, uh, or encourage somebody to stop eating meat. You could just scream at them, tell them how horrible meat is, and send them videos of animals being slaughtered on on on, on Facebook. That has some effect, perhaps. For even a, or the best thing to do is just feed them really wonderful, tasty, healthy, divine, love-filled food. Right, and then transfer, it happens automatically. Right, you know, it's like when, when you get to, you you get a higher taste, a lower taste fall away. An example of this, I remember many years ago at the at the Babo Park in um, 
Favreau Park at in San Diego. There was a Earth Day celebration, and uh, Laguna Beach Harker Temple had a little uh, um, book table, and <coughs> he asked me if I could help them. They were and so I, I had some attachment to the restaurant at that time, so I'd helped them a little bit. And my, uh, the main book of the, it was an Earth Day, so it was, they figured the, the book you present is the vegetarian book, but that's you know, the environmental connection rather than the book on philosophy or something. So they had that little book called, I was, what's it called? The Higher Taste. The Higher Taste. It's, it's called The Higher Taste. Perfect. <laughs> Maybe that's why I brought it up. I forgot the name of the book, but it's called The Higher Taste. Very good example, right? And right next to us, you know, we had a little stand there and I had the book and I'm pretty good at selling. I like books, so I'm pretty good at selling books. Next to us, there was a, um, um, on, the, on the street, you know, it was on the, one of the, like a parade route type of road, there was a, a, um, a water fountain, you know, one of those, you know, public water fountain. And then next, next to us, there was a, a people selling bottled water, right? And it was, you know, $1.50 for a bottle of water, right? You know, and so that was a very good uh, um, uh, um, uh, prop for me, right? I pointed out that all day long, people are paying a dollar fifty for a bottle for a glass of water that's free, thirty inches away wow. from the ta- the table, right? And that ends up being like three thousand times more expensive. <laughs> of course, it's free, but even if you pay for it, you know, bottled water three thousand times more expensive than than than, and an argument be made, oh, it's, it, maybe it's better, but it tastes better. <clears throat> At least you think it tastes better, you know. So that's an example. It's like people are, are willing to do something. They're renouncing quite a bit, actually, you know. But the, when you get a higher taste, the lower tastes fall away. And another example is like, you know, it's like if, if you, like, you know, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm hungry, so I have this piece of pizza or something. And somebody says, well, you shouldn't eat that. No, no, but I'm hungry, I'm going to eat it. But here, look, this is, much, this is a better piece. Like, oh, you're right, that looks better. Right? Or if you start eating it, then you forget. Once you get satisfied with something better, the lower things fall apart. This is the type of thing Swamiji is mentioning. Some examples of what Swamiji is mentioning. Uh-uh. Also, Swamiji's idea that even even patriotism, when it, it can go, you can go. Patriotism is not a bad thing. Swamiji was a great patriot. He's he's often called the patriot saint of India, right? He's one of the great national heroes of India. Uh, 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 but his national his patriotism was not limited to India. That's the thing. His love for the world, uh, his love for India was very strong, right? But it wasn't exclusive, right? Because he used to say that patriotism that's exclusive is actually uh, hatred. Right, it looks like love, right? And you can see love and hatred are very close to each other, right? So I love you to I well sometimes I love you and hate the other that happens all the time, but then even I love you to I hate you happens really quick, <laughs> from one conversation or one email it can go from one to the other, <laughs> you know. So uh, so there's a danger like that, but but uh, love love for the love for the country should not be when when it's expanded when you one has this uh, love for humankind or mankind love for our religion love love for the soul love for nature love for justice you can get you can get and pretty soon you start like not even like love for mankind or humankind that's that's sublime right but then you start like love for justice well that's just an idea right it becomes an intellectual idea or a, a love of beauty love of freedom Right, and and those can, those can go produce even you can like can even leave people behind, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so even uh, even that, right? And so the so an intellectual idea and a pleasure and uh, an attachment to an intellectual idea, um, uh, at uh, somebody who's attached to a cruder form can't even imagine it, right? That's somebody else the same, right? And 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 
and even our, our attachment to the senses, which seems so real to us, when, uh, you know, somebody who's attached to art, someone who's attached to philosophy, somebody, uh, uh, to <coughs> logic, to these uh, uh, um, politics, the, uh, intellectual pursuits like this. Um, um, uh, not everybody can understand that. You know, somebody says a, a dog can't get pleasure from that, right? And a philosopher can't get as much pleasure. I mean, philosophers have to eat, but they, they, don't, eat, they don't eat very well. <laughs> <laughs> they eat their they eat because their attachment is their attachment's not on the on the, the nature of the of the senses. The attachment has become higher or more refined, if you can say higher. At first, pleasure is associated with the lower sense organs, but as soon as an animal reaches the higher planes of existence, the lower pleasure becomes less intense. Right? That's something you know. It's like. Actually, it said in it says uh, it's in 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 in, in uh, Bhagavad Mahapurana. It says that this human body is actually not. We're not really designed to enjoy that much, because the human body was an upright uh, a spinal column, right, and a large uh, developed brain and nervous system, right, uh, that we believe one attains after uh, four eight million four hundred others, uh, after living and dying in eight, at least 8,400,000 species before we get the first human body. 8,000,000 species before the first human body, right? So it's a, it's a, it's a, we get this apartment, we, we have to, a long waiting list and a lot of prerequisites to get this apartment, right? Uh, uh, this, uh, this body, the human body, seems to have a, a, a to be uniquely qualified for, for First, intellectual uh, development, that's one of its qualities, right? A uh, larger brain allows for that, right? right? But more than that, perhaps even a spiritual realization. The sages say that the human body, the human species, is meant for spiritual realization. And spiritualization, it's not really meant for sense gratification, right? And you can see we don't get much sense gratification. Right? We're so attached to it because we don't have higher knowledge yet, we don't have higher experience. But actually, it's not, we don't, the, the sense experience we get is very fractional, infinitesimal, right? I, I sometimes think, like somebody, okay, we, we make, we made a, a nice dish today, right? So we made some spaghetti, we had some spaghetti this morning, this afternoon, right? If it's tiny bit too much salt, it's not edible, no, no taste. If it's not en- if it's tiny bit, not enough salt, it's not edible, right? If it's too hot, it's not, not enjoyable. As soon as it goes beyond, if it's a little bit too cold, it's lost all taste, right? If, the, if we find a hair in it completely, it's the same thing we vomit, right? right? You know, it's like it's, if, it's not, if, if we think <coughs> we see a hair in it, we vomit, right? It's like the, the, the limits of things that make it pleasurable are very tiny, tiny, tiny things. And then we put it in the tongue, and a second after it's in the tongue, it's, we, it's gone, right? So even the enjoyment is so limited what we can get, what we consider enjoyable. And that only lasts for the briefest moment, right? And, 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 and for that, we, I mean, how much money we spend on going to restaurants and things like this and getting good food and to get that little tiny, 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 tiny pleasure, which we're not meant for it, you know? Like we have to eat and we have to be pleasure. If, we, if things were good tasting, we wouldn't eat, right? So God, uh, Swami Chidana says the Creator intelligently, but with trepidation, has put uh, enjoyment at the end of our senses, otherwise we wouldn't use them. Right? We, have to, we have the senses to bring information. If they're not enjoyable, you wouldn't open your eyes. If nothing was well, not nice looking, nothing was good tasting, you wouldn't put it in anything in your mouth. Right? So enjoyment had to be there. But some mistake happened. We're pretty soon, the, that little bit of enjoyment, which is barely anything, has become completely our, we become slaves to it instead of a usable tool. 
Go ahead. And all this, and this is true of the tongue, but it's true of everything. What's good looking, what's good feeling. The, the parameters are very small, right? And most of it's in the mind. <laughs> and it's, whatever it is, it's temporary. And chances are we're not going to like it anyways, right? And we're going to be disappointed. It leads to more disappointing. We, then, then, then we want it, right? That's suffering, right? If we get it, it's, never, it's usually disappointing. That's suffering. But if it, what if it's perfect? Right? It's great. It's better than we thought. It's temporary. <laughs> right? And okay, that's temporary. But, but, but let's have a bigger thing. What about like, you know, wait, it'd be, it'd be a little bit of time among, so we can talk, we talk cruel things like this all the time. Right? For ourselves also. But what about like a human relationship? Like, but it's perfect. Like, well, chances are, we all know it's not perfect. But let's, let's say it's really good. Right? <laughs> I hope it's all very good for all of you. Wonderful human relationship. Right? Right? But it's temporary. When, minimally, one of you is going to die before the other. Guarantee one of you. Not minimally. Guarantee one of you. Sometimes I get a little cruel minded, but uh, you've heard it here, Kalimandir. <laughs> You're going to die. Sorry. So minimally, it's temporary. Right? The thing is, we're human. We don't get much enjoyment. We live our life for enjoyment. And we don't get any enjoyment, or very little enjoyment. Right. Without it, but until we have a higher taste, that's all we got. So we, 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 get what we, we get what we can in a certain sense. Right? And we're, we're pleasure-seeking animals in many ways. Right. <coughs> but you ever seen like, 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 like a dog eating or a pig eating? They can eat. Right? They enjoy eating. Right? Because their, their life is in the senses. Our senses are too limited. They don't, they don't enjoy much. Right? You know? Or, you know, if like we, I like this, like, you know, or we're sleeping. Right? Say, but like, like like a like a what what an animal that hibernates like a bear or something like that you know they could sleep for months, <laughs> right? You know, and our sexual activity also barely anything actually if we analyze you know there's, an, there's animals, pigeons you know, you know it's like a pigeon which is a brain this big, right? Can have sex three hundred times in a day, right? Or a rabbit like it's like it's like it's a the body's designed for that our body is not designed for that. It's it's bare minimum to keep to keep to keep the, the 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 to keep enough bodies going to justify the high rent for the human <laughs> body, right? You know, it's not, so we, we to keep keep to keep us going and keep the next generation going, right? It has to be this. So the thing is, we're not we're it's not even we're not even that good at it. The problem is, if you want to be a materialist, we're not good at it. We're not designed for it, right? Uh, um, at first, pleasures associated with the lower senses, but as soon as an animal reaches a higher plane of existence, the lower pleasures become less intense. Human, for instance, in human society. In human society, the nearer man is to the animal, the stronger is his pleasure in the senses, and the higher and the more cultured a man is, the greater his pleasures in intellectual and other such finer pursuits. So, when man goes even higher than the plane of the intellect, higher than that of mere thought, when he reaches the plane of spirituality and the divine inspiration, he finds there a state of bliss compared to which all the pleasures of the senses or even of the intellect are as nothing. So this is the this is the thing. Even even the perhaps a human species, one of the qualities we can we can get great pleasure in the intellect, right? But even but to the to the mystic who has who has experience of the of the, of, of the spirit, uh, which is uh, infinitely higher. Than the intellect, you know, we can't even imagine what their ple- what that what that pleasure is, leaving the pleasures of the body behind. But even the pleasures of the intellect are left behind by their experience. <coughs> 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 
there's a famous verse. It's repeated. I was actually uh, a few weeks ago. I was looking for this, trying to find an actual because it's quoted a lot. And where is a verse? It's 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 quoted in many texts. It's quoted. <coughs> They're all quoted in older another text. So I found three four forms of it that are slightly worded differently. But basically, it says that that uh, that the animals have four main. Um, uh, not just animals, animals and humans have four main activities, right? Four main desires, four main motivations or, 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 or uh, actions. That is eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. Fear-based offending. So exactly. So this is actually this is a dog. Uh, an amoeba has these four things: how to how to uh, 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 how to eat, how to acquire nutrients, how to defend, how to defend itself. How to how to, to uh, replicate itself, uh, uh, procreation, uh, um, and how to, so eating, sleeping, mating, defending. Uh, sleeping means housing, you could say like that. You can, and you can see an animal. This is this is it, right? Uh, but in humans, it's mostly that too, right? If you open up a, a newspaper, right, you know, uh, uh, or it's a school newspaper or something like that, you can get a little bit. Oh, let's oh, what, what, what good people at their bath at their at students at. At the local college, that's the most intellectually like that. And your paper, it's going to be not just there, but it's going to be basically topics of eating. It's going to be housing issues, uh, politics issues, safety and, poli- and, 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 and and government politics. There's going to be romance columns and and, and, and those type of things, right? It's it's uh, 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 restaurants and food. You know, it's, it's going to be in these four categories. Right, most things are in these. Most things are in these four categories. It's a, and so the thing wrong. That's human. That's the that's the animal life, right? Humans also. The thing humans are not just. Maybe we're just animals, but maybe we're not just animals, right? Because it seems that the distinction, the reason this verse is quoted again and again and again in the shastra, is because the claim is that we, we have an ability for a fifth topic. Right, we can search for because uh, uh, most of the intellectual life is just refined eating, sleeping, mating, defending. Right, <laughs> it's it's like we we get, we start philosophizing about the nature of these things and how do we know what we're you know like we it's like it seems that we have an exp- we have the ability to experience something com- unrelated to these four things, a fifth topic, right, a transcendental topic, right, and so you could say in, in that in if you look at a magazine maybe in the maybe there's a topic on religion. Maybe that hasn't do, but even religion very often it's eating, sleeping, rules about eating, sleeping, mating, defending. <laughs> seems to be right. It's earthbound, it's animalistic, right? But but a, 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 the real human, according to this view, the human life begins when the fifth topic is 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 is, is contemplated, is interested in, right? Doesn't mean you stop eating, right? You have to eat. Doesn't mean you stop procreating. Families continue. Doesn't mean you stop. You don't defend yourself. All these things are necessary. Right, but they're not the main focus. They become a secondary. They're they're left behind in a certain sense, or they're dealt with appropriately. So when a man goes even higher than the plane of the intellect, higher than that of mere thought, when he reaches the plane of spirituality and divine inspiration, he finds there a state of bliss compared to which all the pleasure of the senses, even of the intellect, are as nothing. That's something to compare all the pleasures of the senses and all the pleasures of the intellect are compared to that nothing, right? So in our in our old classes at UCI, we, did, we were discussing in yoga, in yoga we use this idea of the chakras. We use that as a map to understand 
the development and evolution of consciousness, human consciousness, and spiritual consciousness, right? And so it's it's a, a, a way of it's a way of uh, analyzing right, the human where we are and our level of experience. Muladhara, the base chakra, right? That means earth. The element is earth, right? And so earth means the material material consciousness. Earth means the physical body, right? And so that's actually everyone's in Muladhara chakra, right? And so because we, we live in the material world, we have material consciousness and we, and we think of the material body. And so all of our, so as a result, eating, sleeping, mating, defending, our, our, and our religion is deal, deals with eating, mating, uh, mating uh, eating, sleeping, mating, defending. Our politics deals with eating, sleeping, mating, defending. Our, um, uh, our morality is rules and, and principles of eating, sleeping, mating, defending. Put it all into it, you know. Um, um, because we're in we're in Muladhara chakra, and therefore the highest pleasure we can imagine is in the, is in the in the body, and so the highest pleasure, if you even think of, of sexual pleasure or intellectual pleasure, all these things at their at their extreme are the extreme at the lowest chakra in Muladhara. Right, the way we think of the chakras, this is Nakasamaji talking, but I only use this as an example. We think of this, uh, we think of, of infinite consciousness. Uh, taking on as if some limitation, right? Because consciousness has no name or form, it has no qualities, but it takes on, seems to take on, the qualities of its container, like putting air into a balloon. You put air into a balloon, it becomes balloon-shaped, right? The air inside of a balloon. But actually, air has no shape on its own. So you take that air, you take that, and you begin to condense it from infinite consciousness to something that's infinite but something, right? That we call that space, right? Or akasha, right? If we condense that, shove it more we call that it's something that's that's now it still has no shape right no direct it's not directly something but now it's you can be felt it can be manipulated more we call that air right these are not these are not the periodic tables of the elements these are <laughs> experiential table of the elements it's, how many elements are in the periodic table 103 103 so we have this is a list of five. There's a little something. Right. <laughs> it's not as I, I did better on this test than in my periodic table. I did very badly on that 36 one. Thirty-six tests. Thirty-six. Yeah, there, you got five, thirty-six, or uh, uh, thirty-six. Oh, you're you have a tantric list. Yeah. Twenty-four, according to Sun you know. Is that the five, twenty-four, thirty-six, or a hundred and what did you say? What was the other? Hundred or whatever the periodic table. So anyway, so you have air. You take air and you shove it, you tighten it. What happens if you if you take air and, and condense it? It gets hot. We call that fire, right? If you take fire, fire has a quality that it condenses. It causes condensation. We call that water. These are conceptually or imaginatively considered. Water, if you take water and you slow it down and makes it dense and harder and thicker, we call that, it becomes solidified. We call that earth, right? Water becomes ice, right? Or, or becomes earth. So that, that idea of infinite consciousness becoming as if the most possible limitation, that's called earth, or muladhara. Slightly less limitation, we call that the second chakra, I forget from, from where the second chakra is. Hmm? Swadhisthana. Swadhisthana, that is uh, water. Right above that, Manipura is fire. Above that, Anah Anahata is air. Uh, Vishuddha is space. Right? And then we get mind and higher and higher and higher, things like this, right? Right. So that's one way of thinking. So all of our experience, even the most wonderful 
right? A, a, a physical experience, the most imaginable, mind-blowing, if you want to use this type of language, right? A physical experience, right? The goal of which everyone is hankering. The, the best we can do is in Muladhara, right? So that may, and think that, that, that's enough to keep the whole world running, right? And the next generation uh, 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 procreating, right? You know, it's the way, way we're the highest public player or the highest part intellectual pleasure. Right. But the next level up is considered a thousand times more free. Right? An explosion of consciousness from earth to fire or earth to water is a thousand times more free, less dense. So the experience will be a thousand times greater. So the scriptures say, the yogis say. Right? And then, so a second chakra, a third chakra. So the highest, imagine that those who we believe or they claim, Right, if you believe or not, the claim is by a certain mystic that they, they they have an infinite, they've experienced infinite, the same unitive experience, the the union, unitive experience, the parasambit, the parasambit experience, not just the the the, the supreme unitive experience, not in the body, not in the mind, not in the emotions, not in the senses, right, not in the intellect, right, but beyond all. So the, the, you you can't imagine it, right. Uh, and so the thing is, you know, there that that famous we, we mentioned Samiji actually starts the book for a different point about the frog, a frog from the ocean falls into the well, right? Uh, and, and the well, the the well frog says, "Well, where do you come from? I come from the ocean. What's it like? Well, it's really big. Is, is it bigger? Is it big as my well? I mean, silly. It's it's thousands of times bigger than your well. That's not. Is it? Is it? And the frog jumps. Is it this big? It's this big. It's inconceivably bigger than what you've jumped. Now that you don't. I don't believe you, you've never. There's no such thing as an ocean. You're a liar, and I'll and get out of here, right? If you don't, I'll kill you. That's usually what happens to mystics, right? Now this is a, this view of other religions, but I can think, what happens because they're they're claiming something that's so beyond our experience, right? But I just explained why it's beyond our experience. We we the highest pleasure we can even not we never almost never get, but even if we get or even conceive is infinitesimal, infinitesimally small compared to what they're claiming to have experienced, right? This is Swamiji's point. <clears throat> so when the greatest... Uh, sorry, uh, at first, pleasure is associated with the lower sense organs. But as soon as the animal reaches a higher plane of existence, the lower pleasures becomes less intense. In human society, the nearer man is to the animal, the stronger is his pleasure in the senses, and the higher and more cultured a man is, the greater is his pleasure in intellectual and other such finer pursuits. So when a man goes even higher than the plane of the intellect, higher than that of the mere thoughts, when he reaches the plane of spirituality and the divine inspiration, he finds there a state of bliss compared with which all the pleasure of the senses or even of the intellect are as if nothing. When the mind shines, when the moon, that is a beautiful, Sakura uses this example too, when the moon shines brightly, all the stars seem dim. But when the sun shines, the moon itself becomes dim. This is a good, this is a, uh, Sri Ramakrishna describes this also. He tells the story of two fireflies thinking, oh, look how bright I am, right? You know, it's like that. But then the night, uh, the, the stars come up, and when you realize, oh, actually, then the stars go, oh, you're not that bright. Look at me, right? Mm -hmm. And then the fireflies become insignificant, mm -hmm. right? But then the moon, as soon as the moon comes up, the stars pale and insignificant, like that. The moon thinks, oh, look, I'm the one that's shining, right? But when the sun comes up, the moon is also forgotten, right? You know, so it's like it's that same type of thing, you know? Uh, when the moon shines brightly, all the stars become dim, and when the sun shines, the moon itself becomes dim. The renunciation necessary for the attainment of bhakti is not obtained by killing anything. It comes naturally, just as in the presence 
of an increasingly stronger light, less intense lights become dimmer and dimmer until they vanish away completely. With the higher experience, the lower experience just recede and disappear without any violence, without any struggle. Right. Sometimes, of course, we, we find, in Asadic, we, we find a snare and get caught on something. Sometimes we have to, like, whack a whistle stick and throw it, throw it overboard, you know. Sometimes there, there's still some internal struggle that has to be in discipline. We, get, we find ourselves caught on something. But, but really, the, the real renunciation, when you have the higher taste, when you get the higher experience, the other things lose their interest, naturally. So this, so this love of the pleasures of the senses and of the intellect is all made dim and thrown aside and cast into the shade by the love of God himself. That love of God grows and assumes a form called para-bhakti, or supreme devotion. Forms vanish. Rituals fly away. Books are superseded. Images Temples, churches, religions and sects, countries and nationalities. All these little limitations and bondages fall away naturally from him who knows this love of God. It's a very big thing to go beyond all these things. Nothing remains to bind him or fetter his freedom. And a wonderful example. A ship all of a sudden comes near a magnetic rock and its iron bolts and bars are all attracted and drawn out. And the planks are loosened and float freely on the water. This is, Sri Ramakrishna uses this example a lot. Ramaji is just quoting Thakur. Right? This is uh, kind of, kind of the, the, story, the legend of like a, the Bermuda Triangle, or that type of thing in the, of, 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 of Thakur's time, you know? That there's this giant magnetic stone somewhere, and a, a, a boat comes near, and what happens? In, in, in presence of, of the magnet, all its bolts are pulled apart. All the nails are, are pulled from the planks. What happens? Within a second, all the, the, all, what used to be a boat, right, <laughs> full of people with an intention and a, and a motivation and a, and, and a charge, right, and a flag, right, pretty soon, within, just because it gets, close, it gets so close to that giant magnetic rock, it just, a few seconds later, it just uh, planks drifting in different directions. It gets pulled apart. So this is Thakur's example, Swamiji's example, Parabhakti. At that level, everything gets, you get close enough. It, you, know, it, it, you don't have to sit there and try, like right now, we're, we've been, uh, 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 Prakash and Madhuri have been <coughs> pulling apart our roof on, in, in, on our patio. Not easy, right? You know, they get you know, bolts and, and crowbars and screw guns, you know, trying to undo it. If that, we, can, we can try to do that, but once you get close enough, it, everything just pulled apart. The things that hold it together come apart. Divine grace thus loosens the binding bolts and bars of the soul, and it becomes free. So in this renunciation, auxiliary to devotion, so in this renunciation, auxiliary to devotion, there is no harshness, no dryness, no struggle, no repression or suppression. These are all the, the accusations people do, and we ourselves do, and we struggle with in religion. What is it? It's dry, it's stinging, it's harsh, <laughs> it's repressive and suppressive. <laughs> this is exactly the thing, but actually this is none of those things. Right? With, a, with a higher experience, these other things fall away and there's no, there's no struggle. The bhakta has only to suppress, the bhakta has not to suppress any single one of his emotions. 
He only strives to intensify them and direct them to God. This is the preparatory renunciation. But this is preparatory, the type of, this is the preparatory renunciation to Parabhakti. Right, so the renunciation to get to Parabhakti also happens naturally. As we get closer to God, the other things fall away. What happens when you, the, the, the renunciation at Parabhakti, then it becomes a little bit mind-blowing, which we show next week, God willing. I think next week may be some of Vivekananda's birthday, so we can read, it uh, be good to meditate on this text next, uh, next Saturday, I believe. Next Saturday the 7th? Saturday 6th. Oh, Sunday. Oh, Saturday. Anyway, okay. It's good, it's good to know. My brain is I'm not good at these type of dates and stuff. But we're actually done a little early compared to my normal. Actually, we're done on five minutes late, but for me, this is really early. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any questions or comments or angry shoutings in capital letters? Well, another... Could consider another periodic table to be the 52 Akshas. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. It's another way. And actually, those are related to the five tattvas. Because yeah, each of the chakras have, has the akshas. Actually, the, the letters, like, it's very mysterious. I mean, I mean, if you push it scientifically, it may fall apart. But the way we understand it, uh, met- metaphysically, not physically, right. but but the letters of the akshas, aksha, akshas, aksha, the letters, <laughs> the matrikas, the syllables, should I say, the, 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 the syllables and the chakras. Each chakra is seen to have um, um, petals. Those petals are set that, you know, there's four petals in the, in the, in the first chakra, and then uh, ten petals and twelve petals, and no, six petals, ten petals, twelve, uh, twelve petals, sixteen petals, two petals, thousand petals, like that. Those petals, where the, the, the idea of petals come from, these, each one has a syllable. And those syllables combine not in an obvious way, that's why it's, it's hard to push it, but in a metaphysical way, to, to combine to a bij mantra. So the letters that make the, the, the thing make, make the, like, lam, bam, yam, ram, ham, like this. That, rep, that is the om, it's like that con, the infinite consciousness is being pushed down into matter, or being mm-hmm. tightened, right? Same like one sound is being condensed, and uh, uh, refracted and pulled apart into the different letters, into the different... Now the one sound gets broken into 52 sounds, or 54 sounds. <clears throat> it's true. <clears throat> There's a mantra in the... Um, we use in puja. Bhuta Shinga Shishumna... Bhuta Shinga Sha... Bhuta... I can do it in puja. What's up with you? Bhuta Shinga Shishumna... I know the rest of it, but the first part... But anyway, this is very embarrassing. On the pujari here, it's supposed to know these things. I've taught it to many people, <coughs> but Buddha Shinga So it means actually that Jiva Shiva Parameshwara Yojami, the individual soul trapped in the Buddhas. Your Buddha means the elements, right? So it means fire, earth, uh, uh, space, air, fire, fire, water, earth, right? So at the base, so, it, so what happens right now, the infinite Shiva, Pada Shiva, becomes Jiva Shiva, right? The Supreme Shiva now is thinking or acting, experience of as little tiny infinitesimal Shiva, as if there's any such thing as a little tiny infinitesimal Shiva. Shiva is always Pada Shiva. But Pada Shiva now thinks of himself as Jiva Shiva. Why? Because, of it, because it seems to be entrapped 
by the by the by the Buddha by the elements, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And so and there's a Buddha potato jiva. What's the what's the what's again? I unite, the goal of it is, I unite the Jiva Shiva to Parashiva through Shushumna Patana, through the path of the Shushumna. Right? This, is, this is a secret of like, a technique called Bhutashuti in, 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 in Tantra. Right? It's not just Bhutashuti, it's spiritual life. It's our, it's, everything in spiritual life is Bhutashuti. This is the Tantra way of understanding it. Right? We're trying to find, we're try, the individual is trying to find the, the, the universal, the infinite. Right, and it does it through the path of Shushumna, which is the path through the elements. Right, freeing itself, tattva after tattva, or buddha after buddha, and each time it expands from one to another. If you take a balloon and pop it, what happens? What just the air inside a balloon is simply taking, filling the space, rushing to fill the space of the of the container, of the larger container. That seems to be an explosion, explosive uh, uh, experience. Right. That explosive, seemingly explosive movement of energy, really nothing's happened. It's just filling that which was like a, it's also described in the scriptures as a, as a like, a, like a, 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 a coil. You push a coil down, you let a coil it coil, it, 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 it regains its, its freedom, you know. So, space of regain, we call that Shakti. Oh, I had oh, a powerful experience, I had an awakening experience, I felt something or some mind-blowing thing, or I felt something in my spine, or my prana, you know, we give it all kinds of, manif- describe its manifestation. It's just the experience of, of the, the individual gaining a tiny bit of freedom, right? So imagine that freedom at the, at the, at the Paramashiva, uh, um, what's, the, what's the final verse of that? I don't get it. Paramashiva, Sushumani, Paramashiva, What's the last one again? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, before that. Uh, mm-hmm. I have my puja book. <laughs> this is a good, this is a good part. Very bad. In puja, I do it naturally. I've, I've never, we never speak these mantras out of context. You know, we do. I've done this every day for twenty-five years. But <laughs> <laughs> Paramashiva Shushumna Patena Mula Shingatam Lassalasa. Oh, 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 now, now, so the first verse is Buddha Shinga Tachiraha Shushumna Patena Jiva Shiva Parashiva Parayojami Swahar. Enmesh in the elements from the base chakra on up, I rise in the, the individual Jiva and unite it with the supreme, the Jiva Shiva to Paramashiva. Right, and then the final, there's a couple of the mantras there, but the final one, oh, then becomes a prayer. First is describing what has to be done. That's spiritual life. Now it's a, but we're devotees, we're calling, we're calling up to God. What are we calling up to God? The individual is calling to the infinite, right? To the higher, the, the, the infinite. Oh, Paramashiva, Shushumna Patena, through the path to Shushumna, Mula Shingatam Mulasa, from the path, from the base, from the Mula, all the way up, from, the, from earth consciousness or body consciousness, to infinite consciousness through all the stages represented by the chakras, and when you visualize it this way, uh, um, so that's it. Oh Shiva, help me come from the base on up. Bring me up through through each. This is what we're doing. So this is that is actually spiritual life. That is spiritual practice, right? And we start we, the very first month is always for the Ganesha. We always start puja with Ganesha, 
We start a wedding with Ganesha. We start education with Ganesha. We start a voyage with Ganesha. We start a business with Ganesha, right? Uh, why? Right. It's Gana uh, Isha. Ganesha has many, many meanings, but Gana, we, we know Gana is where a category of semi-divine beings. These are the attendants of Lord Shiva. These are the angelic hosts. These, you know, we could like that. But Gana has an esoteric meaning in Tantra. Gana means the senses. Right. So Gana, Ganesha, Gana Isha is the lord of the senses. Ganapati, the master of the senses. Same thing. Right. Right. So he, where is Ganesha in Muladhara Chakra? He guards the, the, in the, in the, in the most famous of the stories of Ganesha. Ganesha, um, the divine mother Gauri is, is taking a bath and she makes out of, what does she do? She uses turmeric, a yellow powder. The, the color of the Muladhara Chakra, the earth element, is yellow. And so that's, turmeric is used for this. Uh, and it's also, it's, it's an actual thing to what the body with turmeric. It's, it's beautifying and, and antiseptic and anti-inflammatory and all the things. Uh, but she, and she took the sweat and dirt from her body, right? And who she Parvati? Parvati means a daughter of the earth, of the mountains, right? So she's an earth element. This is the body, right? The one who lives in the body, taking el- the 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 uh, 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 turmeric made that represents the earth from the dirt of the sweat of her body, which represents the earth, and making a little character, caricature, little character, and that brought him to life and protect me, right? So that's his his job is so he's he is the earth element. Some yogis say actually it's she's Ganesha is is the Devi. She's the supreme he's the supreme Devi in Muladhara. Right? In the earth in earth consciousness, that's how we got. God is, is Ganesha. That's how you see, he was the most popular even in this temple there's if you serve a count, we probably have seventeen times more Ganeshas than any other deities. Everybody thought everybody has more Ganeshas than everybody, right? right? Ganesha is the most popular, he's the most approachable. Right? He's what we have, right? And and, and but he's showing it to start. We want to worship the Devi in the Muladhara Chakra. We want to worship Kundalini. We want to come up, or we want to find the, the infinite, the supreme, the beyond. We have to start where we are, and we are energetically mapped as the base of the body, but practically in material consciousness. We have to go beyond material consciousness, and that requires Gana Isha, Gana Pati, beginning to control the senses. To do anything for a wedding, or a business, or a school, or a voyage, or a puja, you have to overcome. You have to, you have to um, overcome, you have to go beyond the body a little bit. You have to take the, even to get up, it's like, you know, you have to, even to get, when I, it's getting harder as the uh, Muladhara consciousness becomes stronger as I get older instead of less. <laughs> body consciousness is the reality and the, and the Shakti is less than the matter. Uh, the ratio between Shakti and matter becomes uh, different. Right? Even you can see it's like, you know, it's like, it's really... Even even to get up and get to go to the other room is an act of a great act of of of, 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 of overcoming muladhara consciousness or earth consciousness or um, enmeshed in the elements. You know, so Ganesh is so so he's a, he's a lord of of, of the, of the muladhara. He's giving he's giving the, the hints if you want his, his worship. Also, another another point we sometimes think was uh, is a little tangent but related. Uh, uh, to Ganesh Puja, when we when we worship Ganesha at the beginning of education or of a of a wedding or of a business, right? Ganesha doesn't do business for us. He doesn't study for us, right? And he doesn't uh, work on the relationship for us, right? You have to work on the relationship, right? You have to get up early and stay up late and study and go, go to class and buy the books and pay attention and do all that hard work. Right? And you have to, how much sacrifice has to be done in order to start and run a business, 
take it takes takes uh, takes hundred uh, percent sacrifice even to run a bad business, but to speak of a successful business, you know. So so Ganesh Puja is not Ganesh do it. Ganesh is us doing it. It's us us uh, that, so he's giving the thing Ganesh. We worship him. We believe that he's giving grace to do it. But his grace is us doing it. We have to study. We have to, so we have to so the sadhana to, to overcome material consciousness to, either by rejecting by, by strong act of renunciation, which seems to be very difficult, right? Or by the higher call, right? Higher experience, higher experience. We get we can go beyond just our material consciousness and, and physical physical consciousness, physical awareness, physical motivation, sensual experiences, to intellectual to higher and higher and higher to the highest uh, descriptions. <coughs> given by the uh, rishis, saints, mystics, great lovers of God. That goes to the letters, I think, but it was good. <laughs> Any other comments? How are we doing on that? The battery's almost, almost, but it's still going. Still going. No. I don't know, Swamiji, this might require too long an answer, so if it does, feel free not to answer. But can you, can, what, what, like um, a good way of understanding the difference between Jnana Yoga and Raja Yoga? It's a big, it's a big. Yeah, Somebody books. has two books. Yeah. One's this big one. Well, start is one's this big and one's this big. <laughs> that's, that's the difference. You know? <laughs> I tend to have a hard time understanding the. the yeah, yeah. The, well, the, <coughs> Gyan Yoga and Raja Yoga. Mm-hmm. Well, quickly, well, the way we're using usually Raja Yoga is, 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 a, is, is, is a method of meditation. That, that, that comes from, like, an example of that system is the Patanjali Yoga Sutra is a, a good snapshot of, of the techniques of that, uh, of that system, of a step-by-step way of controlling the mind and contro- internalizing the mind right, and withdrawing the mind from, uh, and stilling the mind in a certain sense. You know? right? Jnana Yoga is, that, uh, we get to work, is, is of, 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 of understanding. It could lead the belief we be, we believe, Swamiji believes that through Raja Yoga you can you can get gyan, you can get knowledge, right? But um, uh, 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 but gyan is not always, is not necessarily the point of of Raja Yoga, right? It's a different. It's their motivation. Sometimes the points are different. Thank you. No, anyway, we, we can actually, well, future we'll talk about Gyana Yoga. And Samaji, uh, his Gyana Yoga is not easy to read, but like, Samaji is not easy to read generally, but his Gyana Yoga is extremely sophisticated, right? And you, you realize. <coughs> but one thing Samaji does say in, in this book itself, and he has said, and Krishna says also, that between Gyana, between these four yogas, Bhakti yoga is the most natural, right? And therefore, it's the easiest. But it's not easiest in the sense that it's <coughs> simple or something like that. It's easier because it's natural, right? But the same points have to renunciation has to be accomplished, right? Knowledge has to be gained, experience has to be gained, mind has to be controlled. But in Raja yoga, one controls their own mind. In bhakti yoga, by devotion to God, the mind's automatically controlled. <coughs> There's a difference in that, right? So. Anyways, it will, we'll go into the... Actually, even Swamiji in this text itself will <coughs> fold those ideas in. Swamiji, can I ask one question? Mm-hmm. What is Kriya Yoga then? Is it part of... Uh, well, it's, it's, if it, that's a good thing. Kriya, is, kriya only means action. Mm-hmm. And it means different things according to context. 
right? Patanjali mentions Kriya Yoga as a combination of, 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 uh, of um, uh, uh, I believe it's uh, Pratyahara, Dharana, and Tapasya, I believe. Those three, I think he calls Kriya, that's his use of Kriya Yoga. Usually, now in modern yoga, we use Kriya Yoga as a technique introduced to the West by Yogananda and, and, and that Paramahansa Yogananda lineages. That's a, because they're doing an internal action, right? <coughs> using the mind to do something, to follow the breath and to do something specifically. So they, they labeled that Kriya because it's a mental action, right? It's a new term. The, the term Kriya before that, 100 years ago, only meant in Kriya Yoga, it was this definition of Patanjali, which has nothing to do with this. It's a different, you can use the word differently, right? Right, but like uh, uh, um, uh, Ramanuja uses Kriya to mean ritual actions, right? Uh, so, uh, uh, so doing japa and puja, that's called Kriya Yoga, according to Ramanuja, right? It's, it's, uh, you have to know how it's used. So usually when, we, when you hear Kriya Yoga, we know it means a particular technique or a series of techniques or related techniques. Uh, that's a form of pranayama and pratyahara that, that introduced like that. Uh, but Patanjali uses the term differently. Not unrelated. You can say that's. You could say they're connected. Well, it can also be involuntary movements. That that's another thing. Kriya means movement. So that's the thing. So sometimes you'll see people shaking and moving like that. They call it, sometimes in certain communities we call that kriya. Right? To show, like somebody will go into a, a, a to show a, 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 a movement of the body like that. We call that. That's also called a kriya. To show a yoga. We call that. Oh, he's showing yoga kriyas. Right. Where and so that that means something different than than following the mind around through the, through the chakras in a particular way, it was a breath. That's another person would mean Kriya Yoga, or, or uh, 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 a combination of three parts of Patanjali called Kriya Yoga, you know. Uh, uh, that's true, it's another, yet another. And also, like in, in Hatha Yoga Kriya, they uh, are purification techniques. Uh, like, for instance, uh, 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 pouring water, like, you know, what are they called? Uh, Jalneti. Jalneti is one of the Kriyas. Right, uh, uh, sutneti, uh, um, uh, kunjul kriya, which is a, a method of drinking water and then vomiting back out. Very fun. I suggest <laughs> it to everybody on a weekly basis. Uh, 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 <laughs> this is one that's very popular at our ashram. So we had to learn these horrible, horrible, horrible things. <laughs> I think we could tell you come come to our ashram and learn kriya yoga. They'll be very disappointed. <laughs> Creative vomiting. <laughs> right. Those are also those are, so. The community mean kriya means action. Right, so any any action is so every community, every group, we use we describing a different action as kriya yoga. So it's a good question, but it's, it's an interesting. Yeah, it's a term that nowadays means so many things, and people think that we use it, and we think we we're, we're saying the same thing. We're not saying the same thing at all. Right, you have to define your terms or know by context. Sometimes you know by context what are the seventeen uses that takes place. Jai Thakur, Jai Ma, thank you for your kind attention. How do you